0: The following program is recorded content created by The Truth Network.
1: Wake up, everyone. It's time for The Steve Noble Show, where biblical Christianity meets the everyday
0: issues of life in your home, at work, and even in politics. Steve is an ordinary man who believes in an extraordinary God. And on his show, there's plenty of grace and lots of truth, but no sacred cows. Call Steve now at 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Or check him out online at the stevenobleshow. com. And now here's your host Steve Noble. Well, I gotta admit it's pretty funny to hear the intro to the show about calling into the Steve Noble Show. and here I am calling in to the Steve Noble show. Uh, this is Steve Noble. I am in my car just a couple minutes away from the studio, and I want to spend the show today talking about the movie Oppenheimer. There's a lot to talk about there, a lot to unpack uh, about that movie. Uh, incredibly powerful visually, the story itself, the subject, the ethical dilemmas involved with nuclear weapons. And, of course, uh, Oppenheimer's genius, the Manhattan Project, communism, the uh, w- uh, World War, Germany, who uh, at, at the beginning of the Manhattan Project when they started it, with the realization that the Germans were about 18 months ahead of us with the development of the bomb, which obviously you cannot allow that to happen. So there's a lot about this one I want to talk about. I'll talk about the the only really disappointing aspect of the movie for me, and I'm sure it would be true for you, is this is the first time Christopher Nolan's included any nudity, kind of a sex scene. There's actually three instances. The total is probably, I don't know, four minutes, five minutes, for you to look into your bucket of popcorn. But other than that, I think it's not an overstatement to say this is a pretty much a cinematic masterpiece. But I will be in the studio here in a few minutes. I was just over in Winston-Salem. I talked briefly earlier this week about Stu Epperson, Sr., co-founder of the Salem Radio Network. Stu Epperson, Jr. is the founder and president of the Truth Radio Network, which many of you are listening to me on right now. And so uh, because both Little Stew and Big Stew are instrumental in me being m- what I'm doing right now, being on the radio and a lot of other things, uh, their encouragement and, uh, and subtle nudges to act on the gifting that God had given me, the ability had given me to do this, uh, altered the trajectory of my life. And it's impacted a lot of other people in a lot of different ways. And so uh, I could not not be over there at least for the visitation. So I drove about an hour and 45 minutes over there for the visitation, left at two. And then if you're in North Carolina, you know what I-40 is like. So I-40 decided to be I-40 and about 35 minutes ago, came to a standstill. So that's what uh, delayed me for getting here. I'm actually pulling into the parking lot right now here at the studio. So, uh, so Oppenheimer, I've been excited about seeing it ever since the word first came out that they made the movie and, uh, Killian Murphy, the, the the guy that carries the whole thing on his back, is absolutely a phenomenal actor. But for me, uh, this movie had a number of different levels of interest. Going all the way back to my college days, pre-Christ, before I became a believer, my last semester of school at University of Illinois, back in uh, Champaign-Urbana, my last semester I had some throwaway class time, just had to get some... Uh, credits in there, and literally one of the last classes I took as a as a college student was a full semester on thermonuclear war, the whole history of what led up to the atom bomb and then the arms race and then understanding the destructive capabilities of both fission and fusion, both the atom bomb and the hydrogen bomb. And so it became a subject that I was fascinated by this time. Oh, now I'm in the studio. So here, watch this. Is the hydrogen bomb, fission versus fusion. And uh, that was eye-opening. Now, again, I, I, I was just a typical college student, just wanted to get out and start my business life and make money. and But the destructive power of that and then you know, overlaying various nuclear weapons that we had already developed, both us and the Russians, into real-world scenarios, uh, pick a city, pick a bomb, air burst, ground burst, and then you look at the uh, immediate destruction, how far out it goes, how far away do you have to be from like Batman or Little Boy, the two bombs that were actually quite small that we dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki to, uh, uh, you know, vaporized if you're right by the, the detonation site or third degree burns, you lose your eyesight or the amount of nuclear material, radioactive material, which... You know They estimate somewhere 150 to 220,000 people died in those two bombings, about half of them instantaneously, and the rest over the next days and weeks. And then to apply that in the modern world uh, was haunting and chilling. And, and again, I, I was not a believer at the time, so I didn't have an appropriate level of appreciation for just humanity in general. And so that was an eye-opener, okay? Then I, I get out of college, that was 1989, and... Uh, get on with my life, and, and it's not really a big issue until uh, we get married in 92, we get saved in 94, moved here to the Raleigh area in uh, 1997. And then by about 2010, um, obviously an activist by that point, 2004, Christian Radio starts in 2007, but around 2008 or 9, 10, somewhere around there, is when I started taking classes at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary and uh, to pursue a degree, a master's degree in ethics, theology, and culture. Well, one of my ethics professors there, the senior ethics professor, Dr. Daniel Heimbach, had served in the Bush 41 White House, actually wrote the guts of the speech, the the thinking in the speech that Bush 41 gave to justify the Americans going into Kuwait to push Saddam Hussein out, utilizing—he didn't mention it in the speech, but I found out later— that Dr. Heinbach was utilizing just war theory. Just war theory started back in the 300s and 400s. Uh, what does the Bible tell us about war? Two things with war, uh, just ad bellum and just in bellow. So, so the first one is, when are the conditions actually based on biblical truth? What kind of conditions do you have to meet for a war to be considered justified? That's the first part. The second part is what kind of war actions once you're in. Are justified, and that's when you get into collateral damage and civilian damage. And is your means of destruction uh, is it uh, in some kind of parity with what you're trying to accomplish? Which, of course, then you go to uh, World War II. First, Germany, who was ahead of us in getting the bomb, then Japan, and then do you drop these things? An amazing, amazing subject. So we'll be talking about Oppenheimer for the rest of the show. This is Steve Noble in the studio. We'll be right back. Org. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, to Steve Noble Show. Good to be in the studio rather than in my car calling in, uh, talking about Oppenheimer, the movie that just uh, released yesterday. We saw it in... IMAX, I wanted to see uh, – there's only a couple theaters around the country that can show it in the full IMAX that Christopher Nolan made it in. If you've seen a picture of that, the actual film, uh, th- like the reel is eight feet wide. I think it weighs 600 pounds. So he shot it in IMAX film. He shot it in, I think, 70 millimeters. So if you, the closer you can get to how, what he actually did cinematically, um, then – that's why I, I would I wouldn't wait to see this on a on a home. I wouldn't wait to, for Amazon Prime, and I wouldn't see it in a normal theater personally uh, to maximize the impact, not only visually and cinematically, but with the topic at hand. Uh, it, it's kind of like Sound of Freedom, which just crossed a hundred million dollars, by the way, in sales, and it's being attacked as a QAnon movie, which is so ridiculous, which tells you uh, that they're hitting a little close to this to the mark with the issue of sex trafficking, especially child sex trafficking with people on the left and Hollywood. So praise the Lord for that. But Oppenheimer, again, let me just remind you that there are uh, there's uh, there's three scenes with nudity. Uh, It's not crazy sex scenes, uh, but it's, you know, it's graphic enough. and, And I thought totally like, what's the point? I read several articles before I saw it about Christopher Nolan, who's never included that in his movies before. Uh, But Oppenheimer, uh, which may surprise many of us, was kind of a ladies' man and uh, had uh, several affairs. And so he had this strange sexual aspect to his life. And Christopher Nolan just thought that was important to uh, visualize that. I disagree. I, I think that was below Christopher Nolan to do that. Uh, whatever. I mean, and and I understand some of you will be like, okay, well, forget it. I'm out. I understand that. And I appreciate that. And I respect that I'm in a different place because I talk about these things and I use them for what I do, not only here on the radio, but I'll be talking about this film as I do the subject of nuclear war and nuclear weapons in my classes. So uh, incredible. And cinematically it's mind boggling. Uh, The, the, Christopher Nolan makes epic movies, beautiful movies. Part of it's in black and white, part of it's in color. I would tell you, you definitely should read up a little bit just on the general arc of Oppenheimer's life because this movie, like Christopher Nolan, if you saw Dunkirk, Dunkirk was actually three different timelines in the course of one movie. A part of the timeline took, took, took place in one hour. That was the airplane scene. Uh, that was actually just one hour in the airplane context. Then there's uh, the, the guys that were all together there's, a, there's an hour, there's a day, and there's a week, and those three storylines all play together during the movie Dunkirk, and and it's not done quite like that with Oppenheimer, but you have Oppenheimer before the Manhattan Project and his kind of rise to uh, fame, especially in the scientific world, and going to Germany and, and Am- Cambridge, Oxford, all those places. The guy was absolutely brilliant. Uh, Brainiac, and then during the Manhattan Project. So that kind of feels like the present time. But then they go forward 10, 15 years after that. Uh, You get into the Red Scare and McCarthyism and communism, and now you're into the arms race. And that's where you see Robert Downey Jr., who's almost unrecognizable in this movie. And so you have three different time frames, and it bounces back and forth. So if you don't know anything about the arc of Oppenheimer's life, you should probably read up a couple of things. Here's just a couple of Oppenheimer quotes, just so you kind of understand where this guy uh, comes from. So he, one of the things he ran into in the Bhagavad Gita, uh, which is the, the uh, sacred text for, I think Buddhists or Hindus. I can't remember which is off the top of my head right now. Uh, there's a text in there. Where it says, I, I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. And that really haunted him as he went into the Manhattan project, realizing what they were doing, uh, but the need to do it. So Germany we found out early on in the war was about eighteen months ahead of us in developing this type of weapon and in in you cannot do nothing uh whereas in at one point in the movie Oppenheimer's like hey listen, another, another scientist all these scientists are a lot of them are struggling with this patriotism nationalism uh and then the ethics of creating such a super weapon and you know say he and he said at one point, I'm not going to give you any spoilers here there's not really a lot of that in this movie um at one point, he's like, hey, listen, I, I I don't know that I can trust us with this, but I know we can't trust him with it, him being Hitler. So we didn't have a choice. Okay, so just a couple of quotes from Oppen- Oppen- Oppenheimer. The optimist thinks this is the best of all possible worlds. The pessimist fears it is true. The fascinating mind. Any man whose errors take 10 years to correct is quite a man. Uh, there must be no barriers to freedom of inquiry. There is no place for dogma in science. The scientist is free and must, and must be free to ask any questions, to doubt any assertion, to seek any evidence, to correct any errors. I wish uh, Fauci had known him. Uh, the peoples of this world must unite or they will perish. So there's, there's a pretty dark side to Oppenheimer and his understanding as a Jew and his understanding of human nature and what mankind would, would do. My childhood, he said, did not prepare me for the fact that the world is full of cruel and bitter things. Now when you read stuff like this, if you have a if you have a, a pretty developed Christian perspective, you should understand all this stuff. He said when you see something that is technically sweet, you go ahead and you do it and you argue about what to do with it only after you have had your technical success. That is the way it was with the atomic bomb. Hmm. I mean Science is not everything, but science is very beautiful. If atomic bombs are to be added as new weapons to the arsenals of a warring world or to the arsenals of nations preparing for war, then the time will come when mankind will curse the names of Los Alamos and Hiroshima. He actually said that in his parting speech with the scientific team there at the Manhattan Project. They built that little town out there in Los Alamos. Families moved there. They had to give their whole lives there. Security obviously was a big deal. And so the movie, the movie again is just beautifully shot. It's very intense uh, at times, especially when they're developing the bomb and considering the consequences. So I mentioned at the, at the opening of the show, I uh, took one of my classes in my master's degree in ethics, theology, and culture was on just war theory. What does the Bible teach us about war? And you look at it, just war theory, which started back in the 300s and 400s, very early on, the church fathers. Uh, Is like going to war, uh, what what conditions do you have to satisfy in order to go to war and call it a just war? Do you have a just cause? Is it a competent authority calling the shots? Is it comparative justice? Is there right intention? Are you going to war for the right reason? Is it the last resort? Do you have a probability of success? Is there a proportionality of projected results, meaning going to war is not justified unless for something worth more than the cost of achieving it? And then right spirit, going to war is not justified unless with regret that what must be corrected can be done no other way. So it's a last resort, okay? So if you can cross all of those lines, you're in what theologians that work in this area would call you're in a just war. But then the question, and Oppenheimer is going to struggle with this one, and you will struggle with it too, is what do you do once you're in war? Where are the limits? Are there any? So now we go to what's called just in bello war actions that you can justify from a Christian perspective once you're in a war. The first one is proportionality. The response to unjust aggression must not exceed the nature of that aggression. No action should be taken that generates more harm than good. Deadly force should be used only in proportion needed to achieve a just objective and no more. And once Hitler killed himself, Germany's defeated. We thought we might have to use the bomb on them. Then it became about Japan. And Japan was not going to give up. That's where you get uh, Harry Carey. That's where you get the guys crashing their uh, kamikaze pilots. The emperor is thought to be a god. They were killing themselves. They were willing to kill themselves. And if you're going to invade Japan, you got to go through Japanese islands to get to the island of Japan. And we're looking at maybe a million dead, maybe half of those being Americans. What do you do? This is Steve Noble. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show, talking about Oppenheimer, which just came out yesterday, which I am strongly recommending to you to see it on for a number of reasons. Uh, the one reason that, two reasons, what I would understand you would not want to see it is because Christopher Nolan totally messed up, and and I don't, I think his reasoning is lame, but he does have some nudity and a couple of sex scenes. They're not crazy, but they're they're offensive and unnecessary i think it's totally unnecessary so stare at your popcorn but but if you're like i'm not going to go see that trash i understand that's your decision that's not mine i'm not going to judge you please don't judge me uh and then there's swearing but that's the world we live in so that i don't lose my mind over that uh but other than that it's it's a masterpiece cinematically and the subject is so important and understanding what happened and and the uh, unbelievable human achievement of splitting an atom with fission and fusion. That's where you get atom bombs and hydrogen bombs. And then uh, the nightmare of it all and the ethical dilemma of it all, which is why I'm taking you down the road a little bit of just war theory today. So I was talking about uh, Christian just war theory. You got to cross several bridges to, to say you're in a just war. And then once you're in one, you have to act in as much of a just way as you can. Okay. And so these are kind of the the Christian uh, barriers on either side of the road of war, which nobody should ever be happy about. That's one of the things. You get the right intent. You you can't be, hey, this is great. Let's go kill these people. Uh, No. From a Christian perspective, it's never something you get excited about. So, proportionality, the response to unjust aggression must not exceed the nature of that aggression. Uh, That's like, you, uh, you push me over in the mall and I stab you in the back. That, out of proportion, right? Got it. Discrimination. Listen, a distinction must be maintained between combatants and non-combatants. Although non-combatants may lose their lives or suffer as a result of military action, there must be no direct intention to take the lives of innocent civilians by attacking non-military targets. Nothing justifies indiscriminate slaughter. So I have this conversation with my students, and we talk about Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the dropping of the atom bomb, which is obviously the end result of Oppenheimer. And uh can we check this box off? Can we say that the dropping of fat boy and, and uh fat man and little boy, the two atom bombs that we dropped, which were very small, kilotons, fifteen, twenty kilotons, uh was, does that are we good there with discrimination? No, because we killed almost entirely civilians. And it was kind of a shock and awe thing. Uh there weren't any military targets big enough to really create enough scare in the Japanese who are not going to surrender by invasion. So you're going to have upwards of a million dead U- U.S. soldiers, Allied soldiers. Stalin had said that he would come help. So Stalin's in there. Russia's in there. The the, the building up of Russia. He says, yeah, yeah, we're going to all these little countries were taken over in Eastern Europe. Well, yeah, we're going to let them have free elections. Yeah, right. Whatever. That was a joke. Uh, but th- But they needed Russia. We wouldn't have defeated Germany by ourselves without Russia attacking from the east. And so uh, but we didn't need the bomb for Germany anymore because Hitler killed himself and that was done. But with Jap- Japan, what are you going to do? And so, in picking targets, they had eight or nine cities. They talk about this in the movie, and they ended up with Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which are population centers. That's a clear, that's a clear problem with discrimination in just war theory. Then avoidance of evil means. There can be no use of evil means even for a just cause. Means prohibited as being evil include executing prisoners, taking hostages, pillaging, raping children. Okay. And then you go to uh, some more things. If we're looking at Christian just war theory, good faith as much as possible. The enemy must be treated in good faith in order to keep open the possibility of reconciliation once the fighting is over. We definitely achieved that because we rebuilt Japan. Probability of success. You don't, you don't do things in a war if there's not a probability of success. Otherwise, you're just wasting human lives. And from a Christian perspective, you can't do that. Proportionality projected results. And then right spirit. Soldiers must love the enemy even while fighting and should regret having to kill or wound the enemy even while using deadly force. Okay? And Oppenheimer was struggling with all that stuff. That's why for me watching this movie with having taken that one semester class in thermonuclear war in college and then Christian ethics as a master's degree and specifically just war theory. And then in my classes – Uh, I'll put a link up on on Facebook Live and on Rumble for something that I discovered several years ago, which is called Nuke Map. Okay, Nuke Map. So you need to go to the Nuke Map Map website, and you just pick a city, and then you can uh, drop down, drag the marker to wherever you'd like the target to be. So right now I've got it in downtown Raleigh, for example. And then uh, choose a warhead. How many kilotons? Or just pick one. So you have this big drop-down list of all these bombs. Uh, Fat Man, the Nagasaki bomb was 20 kilotons. Okay, Little Boy, the Hiroshima bomb was 15 kilotons. The Trinity test, which is what happened at Los Alamos, was actually bigger than both of those. It was like 25 kilotons. But they could afford for it to be bigger because the devices on the plane had to be smaller. Then you start looking at other things out there, and you're like, oh, well, here was one that was common called the W-76. That's, got a, that's 100 kilotons. That's five times bigger than Nagasaki and Hiroshima. And then you start looking through the list and you go, uh, Ivy King, the largest pure fission weapon tested by USA. That's, that's, that's a hydrogen bomb. That's fission versus fusion. 500 kilotons. Hiroshima, 20 kilotons. This one, 500 kilotons. We had it. Topol SS-25, which is currently in the Russian arsenal, 800 kilotons. We have the Minuteman One warhead. Does that ring a bell to you? One megaton—that's a thousand kilotons. So let's just drop that one. One a megaton bomb, a W-59 Minuteman warhead. We used to have thousands of those. Uh, do you want to? Do you want an airburst? Do you want a surface burst? Airburst—you you, you, you blow it up, 500 to okay. 1,000 feet off the ground. You're going to do less immediate physical damage, but you're going to have more radioactive damage. going to go further. Or surface, you reverse that. And what do you want to know? You want to see casualties? You want to see radioactive fallout? And then there's a red button on the screen. It says detonate, which I just hit. Okay? So I'm looking at Raleigh, downtown Raleigh. Just so you know, I mean, estimated fatalities, like immediately, 130,000 people. 130,000. Raleigh's like 600,000 people. She just wiped out 20% of them. Estimated injuries, 253,000. I mean, in any given 24-hour period, there are on average 742,000 people in the light one PSI blast range of the simulated detonation. And then it'll show you, when you zoom out, it'll show you where all the radioactive material goes based on prevailing winds. So like you look at Thermal radiation, third-degree burns, okay? Thermal radiation, third-degree burns, this is a, a one-megaton weapon. Hiroshima Nagasaki, 20 kilotons, okay, versus 1,000 kilotons. You get, you're you're seven-and-a-half miles away, and you're going to get third-degree burns, seven-and-a-half miles away. If you live in the Raleigh area, you could be out at Prime Barbecue in Nightdale, you're, and you're outside, you're getting third-degree burns. And you start thinking about this stuff, and then you go back. And you go back to the movie, and you're watching Oppenheimer, and he didn't. They were talking about um, uh, the super bomb because there was another scientist there talking about the hydrogen bomb, which was going to be a super bomb, which was way more powerful than an atom bomb. And now you're sitting there going, what, what are we doing? What are we unleashing here? What's, there's always a bigger bomb. Somebody's going to make a bigger bomb. So you watch this agonizing process of Oppenheimer and all these other scientists knowing that we have to, we have to stop Nazi Germany. Then Nazi Germany stops. And now you got Japan and we have to have this done. Japan's not going to surrender unless something cataclysmic happens. Well, that's what we're doing. So we, we design it, we invent it, but it's not our decision on what to do with it. And that's the ethical dilemma that runs through this entire movie, which is, which hopefully when you see it, if you choose to see it uh, will rack you pretty good. And that's what I do with my students. And I take them through the nuke map and I'm like, hey, pick a place, pick this, pick that. And then at one point I'm like, OK, let's do uh, the biggest uh, bomb ever detonated in the history of the world. Which is uh, the czar bomb. The Tsar bomb, like T-S-A-R, like czar. The largest one ever tested by the U.S.S.R. 50 megatons. 50 megatons. That's 50,000 kilotons. 50,000 kilotons. Hiroshima was 20. So what do you do when you drop something like a Tsar bomb? Okay. So I just, I'm going to put it right down in um, uh, Manhattan near Ground Zero. Okay. Uh, I'm going to do a surface burst of this warhead, which was detonated up in Siberia. Get this. The mushroom cloud went up 60,000 feet. The Mushroom Club. So now I'm looking at a map. This is Nuke Map. Okay. I'll put a, a link up for it on Facebook and Rumble. You can go look at it for yourself. And then uh, I hit detonate. Okay. Now this gets mind boggling. And we had the ability to do this. Russia detonated this bomb. Estimated fatalities. That's deaths. It's, I just dropped it in Times Square, basically, Manhattan. 6,326,470 fatalities. Dead. Estimated injuries on top of that, 3,928,940. And then the cloud of radioactive material goes from New York all the way up to Maine. I'll give you a few other details and some closing thoughts on why I think you should see Oppenheimer. We'll be Back at Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show, talking about uh, my experience yesterday with Oppenheimer and uh, where we're at. Just in terms of the power of this movie, cinematically, uh, Christopher Nolan, who's uh, you know just absolutely brilliant, and uh, it's obvious it's it's grand in its scope. It's part of it's black and white, part of it's in color, even all the nuclear fission and the bomb and the explosions. He doesn't use any CGI stuff for that. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. It's very intense. I would suggest if you're going to go see it, see it in an IMAX. See it as the biggest, loudest theater you possibly can because uh, that will, will help push into you uh, the importance of the subject matter, which is uh, the creation and implementation of nuclear weapons. Right now, worldwide total as of uh, January of this year, 12,512 nuclear weapons in the world. Okay, 12,000, that's, that's about half of what it got up to at the height of the Cold War. Russia's got 5,889. As far as we know, we have 5,244. China's got 410. Okay? And uh, and, and our weapons are, you know, significant. Hiroshima, Nagasaki, those were um, 15, 20 kilotons, very small. We have one megaton, two megaton, three megaton. That's 1,000 kilotons. Okay, so... Hiroshima and Nagasaki are tiny. So we have plenty of 300 kilotons, 500 kilotons, 700 kilotons, and uh, we've got several thousand of them. Okay. So uh, it's just nasty. Big stuff out there today. Okay. Right now. So whenever you hear about any nuclear talk in Ukraine with Russia deploying tactical nukes, then you're like, oh, oh you should pay attention. So I do that with all of my students. My noble you students so if you're interested in my classes US history world history Christian ethics and civics this, sop- this topic I bring this topic up in all four classes and we spend some time on it and with nuke map which I got to give you the, uh, the you can just google it but it's nuke map just google it nuke map one word and you can go there and, and go through the bombs that we've had and have been tested and been used and drop them wherever you want air burst ground surface burst and you watch and this is the visions that Oppenheimer had so, of course, they accomplished it, and they dropped the bombs a couple days apart. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. This was, uh, let's get this interview. This is Oppenheimer. I think it was, was it on CBS, Josh. Is that what this is from? 19, 1960, 1965. Uh, still struggling with the ethics of what they did. Ready? Let's play that.
1: Back now, do you think that our country's use of the bomb is necessary? I believe that the view which... I learned from many, but above all from General Marshall and from from Colonel Stimson, the Secretary of War, the view that they had, that we would have to fight our way to the main islands and that it would involve a slaughter of Americans and Japanese on a massive scale, was arrived at by them in good faith, with regret and on the best evidence that they then had. To that alternative, I think the bomb was an enormous relief. The war had started in thirty-nine. It had seen the death of tens of millions. It had seen brutality and degradation, which had no place in the middle of the 20th century. And the ending of the war by this means was certainly cruel, was not undertaken lightly. But I am not, as of today, confident that a better course was then opened. I have not a very good answer to this question. Right.
0: That's good. You, you can hear that, right? And you and you'll you'll see this throughout the movie. Uh, Killian Murphy, who plays Oppenheimer, who I can't imagine wouldn't win Best Actor for this, but uh, the, just that the 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 fascination with it. He's not particularly good in the laboratory. He's a, he's a theoretical physicist, so he's he, he's got this wild imagination and thing He's he actually uh, one of the first people to come up with the theory of a black hole, following up on Einstein's work and Einstein is portrayed in this movie. And so that's fascinating. It's so fascinating, but because of my background in uh, taking a class in college on thermonuclear war and then learning about uh, just war theory when I was working on my master's degree in ethics it's a very pregnant movie for me to watch because of my knowledge, which is a little n- more than normal for your average citizen out there. But, but but like I said, there's 12,000 nuclear weapons left in the world today. And so this is a very real uh, threat still, and you think now Oppenheimer was really concerned, as he should be, that that we would it, it would get out of control. And you know, there's this funny moment in the movie. It's not a spoiler; there, you've probably seen this in a in a uh, trailer where he's talking to Matt Damon, who plays the general over the whole thing. And uh, you know, there's a very slight chance that you know, this would create a. Uh, fission reaction that actually doesn't stop <laughs> meaning it would ignite the entire atmosphere of the world and everybody's dead and he's like nearly zero how about zero and, I, and that's all, th- it's all theoretical I can't tell you it's zero it's nearly zero so the fission reaction could just keep going think about that so he would have in the movie he's got these visions of the atmosphere starting to catch fire right and then he's got visions of of nuclear warheads being launched all over the world russia versus us because that's what the arms race and and that should uh scare you not in an unbiblical way but but this is the amazing thing that's what i wrote on facebook after i saw the movie last night where i was i really struggled i i'm sure uh my bride was probably like wondering what my deal was when they were down to the point where they're testing it and some of this stuff is considering the future. And I'm, I'm like holding myself together because I'm um, emotionally having a pretty strong reaction because I've taught about this stuff and thought about this stuff and learned about this stuff. And and, and I always come away from these things, uh, war movies, Saving Private Ryan, stuff like that, and just just kind of grieving about what we're capable of. The good, and the bad, and the ugly, we're capable of splitting the atom and coming up with this kind of power. But yet, what do we do with it? That's the Tower of Babel. You know, hey, there's, a, I'm paraphrasing, but God's basically like, hey, there's nothing these people can't do when they put their minds to it, which will be really incredible in heaven. And you know, when heaven comes to earth, that's why I wrote, I really don't have the words at this point, went to the 6 p.m. in IMAX, Oppenheimer last night. So much to ponder, to consider, to fear, and to hope for. I come away from most movies like this where we see mankind's ability to create as well as to destroy, to support and to harm, to tell the truth and to lie. And it breaks my heart deeply. Look at what we're capable of, Lord. And and that's what you're going to see here. And I think we should all be sufficiently aware, just like with Sound of Freedom and being aware of the nightmare of human trafficking and sex trafficking, and particularly child sex trafficking. You should be aware of it. It's going on. It should be a part of our prayer lives. It should be you, you find out a ministry or something's going on to affect that in, in, in a godly way. You should be willing to support that. Like uh, Lantern Rescue, we had our friend on a couple weeks ago. And then with Oppenheimer, you need to see it because you need to be uh, frightened about what we're capable of and still capable of. Now, Oppenheimer, praise the Lord, uh, we didn't go down the road of mutually assured destruction, which was the official position of the USSR and the United States. That's why we kept building up our arsenal. You send one, we send them all. Then we send them all. Then you send your all, and we're all dead. That You're not going to blow, literally blow up every person on the planet, but you will create a nuclear winter that will last for several years because you're going to put so much garbage up in the atmosphere. You literally choke out ultraviolet light, and every living thing on the earth will die. And that's why the Cuban Missile Crisis is a much bigger deal than you think it was. So when I'm telling my students about the buildup of, the, of, the, of that, when we got to the Cuban Missile Crisis with Kennedy, and what, what's going to happen if we actually blow up one of these Russian ships bringing uh, missiles to Cuba, is, is, is Khrushchev going to launch? Are they going to launch? Because they've launched one, we'll launch 20. But to, or, or we'll launch it all. And then everything goes. War Games. You see that movie back in the early 80s? You should probably watch that one too need to be aware. And then our prayer life should reflect the realities of this because this is a reality today. And so Oppenheimer's just just such a pregnant movie on all these levels. Uh, and, yes, I, like I said, there there's three scenes where there's nudity and sex. It's not crazy over the top, sex, which is a relative statement I know. Uh, and so if you're like, no, no thanks, okay, I understand that. But now that you know and it and, and involves the one actress, Pew, I can't remember her first name. And then you know it's coming. Then stare at your popcorn for two minutes. I think it's worth going around that in order to experience this movie on all the levels that I'm talking about today. And that's your decision. But I'll I'll talk about the movie. I'm I'm obviously not going to encourage my students to watch it because they're all under 18. But I'll I'll talk to them about it. And I show them the Mac website, which I put up on Facebook and and, uh, Rumble. You go look at it yourself. And that's why when God tells us in First Timothy, uh, uh, Timothy chapter 2 to pray for those in authority over us, <laughs> hopefully this is a good reminder for you that we need to do that. And think about Ukraine. As I tell my students, world history, U.S. history. I'm like, you think it matters what's going on in Ukraine? Do you care? No, that's way over there. Who cares, Mr. Noble? Right. So let's say Putin uses a tactical nuke. One, two kilotons, one or two kilotons, 20, 15, 20 kilotons in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, not nearly as big. But he uses it. Does the international community do nothing? Do you drop a 50 kiloton on some military target, in Russia, just to push him back? You think this can't happen? You're wrong. you got to remember human nature. So, go see Oppenheimer if you can handle the, the nudity stuff. It's worth it. It's important. This is Steve Noble on the Steve Noble Show. God willing, I'll talk to you again one of these days soon. And like my dad always used to say, ever forward.